like to thank my mother for sending along that bio. Um, she's, uh, she's quite enthusiastic about that. Um, but I'm glad to be here. I am struck by the reality that being in a, in a setting like this, this is a, a semi-monastic community, um, as, and, I, and I'm, I'm not necessarily a part of that community. I, I'm, I'm, I'm an outsider, and to see you react to one another is kind of fun. Dr. Rivette's telling me, so that's, that's his wife over there with the glasses, and so I'm sort of trying to find you. I see you out there, and then I'm trying, and he says, well, this person's this person, and this person's this person, and because you have a, you have a beautiful community, and I, I'm just sort of a person that comes in from the outside and maybe, maybe encourages in some small way. So, so when, uh, when Dr. Smith, if, if that's actually his real name, uh, <laughs> Dr. David Smith, you think that's not a witness protection program? Um, so when, when Dr. Smith was pointing out um, uh, Mr. Higgs' grades, which by the way is a violation of privacy laws, um, <laughs> And when, while he was doing that, he kept saying A minus and A minus, and A minus to me wasn't a problem. It was a goal when I was actually uh, in school. I, I graduated high school with a, with a D average. I really did. Um, my slogan was D's get degrees. Um, and some of you may be able to relate to that slogan. I hope not. Um, but um, but I've, never, I've never been to a baccalaureate service. I, I, I figured if I showed up at one, that it would be one more opportunity for the faculty to say, oh, no, no, you didn't make it through. You didn't graduate. And, and so later on, I, I, I obviously, I, I did better in school as time went on. Um, but, but so I come here, and, and, and I'm, I've just, just already uh, been blessed by your community. I, I know it was a strong, it's a Wesleyan, uh, Wesleyan-related school, but then, I, then I, I also learned that there were the other groups that are representing. I, probably most of you are, are Wesleyans, and I, I think that's, that's wonderful and beautiful. You, uh, Dr. Gravett gave away that that I'm a, I'm a Baptist. He told me that the, the drummer was Baptist, which, by the way, is a sentence we didn't use 20 years ago. The drummer was Baptist. Uh, I mean, that just, that's just not a thing. Uh, told me the worship leader was Pentecostal, which is what you want. Um, that's, a, that's just good planning. Um, and how many, how, many, just, how many of you are Pentecostals? Raise your hands. You're, you're used to that. Uh, yeah, do, do them both. No, do them both. Um, so we have, we have a, a great diversity here, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm glad. But, but what we have in common is, is we're citizens of another kingdom. Uh, we, we, we have been changed. We have been transformed. We have been made new in Christ. And so, so even though our, our, maybe our, our, our jerseys are a little different color, we're playing for the same team with the same owner, the same ruler, the same Lord of all the universe. And so what I want to talk about today is that king and his kingdom. And I, I hopefully I want to encourage you in some small way. I've been to graduations and, and of course, what takes place tomorrow. And, and, and what, I, what I strikingly remember is that I don't remember anything anybody ever said. That's what I strikingly remember. So I, I acknowledge tonight that 20 years from now, you won't say this, this was the message that changed everything. But there might be a sentence in there that indeed might speak to our hearts and might be something that we remember building on what we have learned for years here at Kingswood and, and pressing forward in kingdom mission. Uh, Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus is, uh, is recorded as saying something that's a key and a pivotal moment for his ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, he had, he had heard that John had been arrested, it says, and so he withdraws into Galilee. Uh, he was fulfilling prophecy, and, and he goes to Nazareth behind, uh, he leaves, leaves Nazareth behind and goes to live in Capernaum by the sea. 
Uh, and then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. It says, uh, from then on, so this is a key transitional moment that Matthew is recording for us. This is not a minor moment, not that any portion of Scripture will be unimportant to us, but this is a major moment in redemptive history, in the, in the plan of God, in the history of redemption, in the meta-narrative of the gospel and the kingdom. From then on, Jesus began to preach, and here's what he began to preach. It says, uh, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, from then on, uh, he says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And, and as, you, as you leave this place, for many of you, I, I hope that if there's just one sentence you remember out of anything I say, it might be the words of Jesus, for he says it better and more clearly and with more force than I can or we can. He says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus was, um, some have said, obsessed with the kingdom of God. 80 times in the, uh, in the Gospels alone, depending on how you count, sometimes they're, they're, they're the same story, sometimes they're different, but 80 plus times in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, in, the, in the Gospels, Jesus says and speaks of the kingdom. The church only twice, and don't, don't think that we devalue the church because of that, but instead we value the kingdom and we understand that Jesus, when he says repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near, it's a reminder to us of something that the people had been waiting on and expecting for centuries, right? Throughout the Old Testament, God had been promising a, 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 to build a kingdom with a, with a great king, and, and this king and this kingdom would, would bless the whole world and set, set all things back right. And literally, the prophecies that spoke of the coming of this king stretch all the way back to the garden, all the way back to the, to the shadows and the hints, even to the beginning. And, and, and throughout the Old Testament, it develops, it becomes clearer and clearer. We get a fuller and fuller picture of what God is talking about. And as the intensity builds, the people of Israel wonder, when, when is this, this king with this promised kingdom going to come? And then Jesus comes and he says, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, the people of Israel wanted a kingdom that was overt and overthrowing. They wanted to, to break the bonds of the Romans, their unjust oppression. The, the brokenness of the world was evident around them. But Jesus didn't come in an overt and overthrowing way. He came in a spiritual and a subversive way. He came and he called women and men into his kingdom. They became citizens and ambassadors of his kingdom. And what happens is the, the world is transformed as men and women who become kingdom citizens then become kingdom agents. So Jesus says to us, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. If it's okay with you, I'm going to look at those just little by little, but I'm going to skip the first. I'm going to skip repentance for the moment. Don't worry, I'm going to come back to it. But unless we go through the rest, we might not understand how we need this tomorrow and next day and next year and next decade. But I want us to look at four things tonight. The first thing I want us to see is the, is the reign of God, is the reign of God. See, there's never, there's never been a time when God has not ruled as king. It says in the beginning, Jesus says, repent, and he says, the kingdom of heaven, right? So the reign of God is this expression of the kingdom of heaven. But there's, there's never been a time when God has not been king. There's never been a time when God's not sovereign. Christians today still debate about how does the sovereignty of God relate to human will, and that's a fine and important debate between Christians. But there's not a debate between Christians whether or not God is sovereign. That's a, that's a debate between people who don't know the Lord and people who do know the Lord. People who know the Lord know that God is sovereign. 
And he is, he is king, and he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's always been the king. And we see this throughout the scriptures. We see this pictured and explained through, through, throughout passage after passage of the Bible. Uh, we can think of, for example, in Psalm 47, the psalmist is writing of God, and it, he, he, explains, he explains to us, he says that, that the Lord, he says, sing praise to him, sing praise. He is king, in verse 7. He is king over all the earth. God reigns over the nations. He is seated on his his holy throne. In Psalm 103, 19, says the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. He has established, don't miss this, he has established his throne in heaven, the psalmist would write, and his kingdom uh, reigns over all. There's never been a time when God hasn't ruled over all things. So why does it, why does it not seem that way? Uh, my guess is, is that some of you in the graduating class and the years you've had here, and certainly others here, you've experienced some, some challenges and some difficulties in your life that remind you that the world is broken. See, it's, it's, it's not yet, all things are not yet set right. All things are not yet as God intends them ultimately to be. And so what's going on? If from his throne in heaven, God has always ruled over all the universe, what's going on here? Well, the, the Bible speaks of the world in this way. Paul writes, and he says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you, you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain. The King James Version says, uh, the prince of the power of the air. And he speaks of the spirit now working in the disobedience. So if, if the world is, is broken, it's broken because of a reason, something called the fall. But if God has always reigned from his throne in heaven over all the universe, and yet this world, this little corner of the universe, is in rebellion to the rightful reign of a good, holy, sovereign, and perfect God, there are, there's an impact of that rebellion. The world is now broken, and spiritually, the world is now lost. So the reign of God is still real and evident, but the world does not acknowledge the reign of God in this time and in this place. So what are, what are we as Christians? Well... As Christians, we, we have a different way. Patricia, in her, in her spoken word and her dramatic interpretation of Scripture, she, she spoke of believing higher. See, because it's a recognition, right? So that if God from his throne in heaven has always ruled over all the universe, yet this corner of the universe, this world is in rebellion to the rightful rule of a good, holy, sovereign, and perfect God. We have been, Colossians says, Paul writes in Colossians, we have been transferred from the domain of darkness, the world in rebellion, we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We have been indeed brought higher. So... God, from his throne in heaven, has always ruled over the universe. The world's in rebellion to the rightful rule of a, a good, holy, sovereign, and perfect God. But Christians have been transferred from the domain of darkness, the world in rebellion, under the sway of the evil one, under the rule of the prince of the power of the air. The world has been, has been darkened, broken, and lost, and yet we have been transferred. So if we understand first the reign of God and what's broken in the world, we have to understand well, why is it that everything doesn't seem, doesn't seem all perfect yet? Uh, you know that, and I know that. The world is broken. We've talked about it. But the world is lost, and we've talked about that. But why? If Jesus has come and the kingdom has come, right? We've, we've, we've engaged in songs already that speak of the fact that God reigns and his kingdom is present. If that's the case, how do we, how do we make this understanding of what's going on in the world around us? And what does that mean for us and for you and for me, graduates and for all of us here? 
So if number one is the reign of God, number two is, is a phrase that theologians use to explain this. It's, it's this, it's, it's already but not yet. The kingdom of God is already but not yet, which sounds like an odd thing. Right? What does that mean? What does it mean to be already but not yet? Well, Jesus says it this way. Jesus says the kingdom has come, right? And so, so there's a theological phrase that, that, that theologians use to describe these things. It's a, it's a two-word complicated phrase. It's, it's inaugurated eschatology. Try to work that into a conversation with a friend this week. But I believe if you can learn to order coffee at Starbucks, you can learn some theological language at church. Um, but the idea here is this, it's inaugurated, right? So a prime minister begins his or her term, a president begins his or her term with an, an inauguration. It's the marking of the beginning and the kingdom has come, right? Don't miss this, right? From his throne in heaven, God sent his son to this world in rebellion to him and the kingdom has come. The kingdom has been inaugurated, but eschatology tells us, well, that's, that's kind of like the study of end things, the revealing of all things. It's still to come. So the kingdom's here. Jesus says the kingdom has come, but then Jesus tells us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So these are, coming to college for me is uh, coming to, to, to university. Do you know that Canadians and Americans say university differently? Canadians um, always say, I go to university, and Americans say, I go to the university. And the definitive article. And so I asked somebody yesterday, I said, why do, you, why do you do that? And it says, because university is what you do. It's not just where you go. You go university. <laughs> and so you come and you, and you learn. But this has been, for me, it's been, a, it's been an interesting time. See, my sister, my sister died before she was able to graduate from university. Um, she, she was a beautiful girl. And she contracted a, a rare form of cancer. And I remember we, we, we'd, I would go speak and she would sing and we would go places together and I, I miss her very much because now I'm taking my daughter who looks a lot like my sister to visit universities and to visit, what about this one? And what about this one? And I say, no, baby, they're all bad. You don't want to go to school. You just want to stay home with dad. Um, there's nothing good that comes from university. I probably should have cleared this talk with you beforehand, <laughs> in hindsight. But it's, I will tell you that it's reminded me of the, of the promise, as I look at my beautiful daughter, and she's going to be going off to college, and the peril of a broken world as I think of my beautiful sister who died while she was in college, and I'm reminded that the kingdom's already, but it's, it's not yet. Everything has not been put back right. There's still sickness and brokenness and poverty and injustice all around us. People are without Christ and in need of hearing the gospel. But the New Testament makes it clear on multiple occasions that the kingdom of God is among us. And yet the New Testament makes it clear on multiple occasions that the kingdom of God is still future. It's already, but not yet. Uh, Wesley called it the, 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 the bringing of heaven. He called it tasting the powers of the world to come. This idea that, that there's a beginning here, the inaugurated is here, the eschatology is to come. Mr. Higgs called it bits of heaven on bits of earth. And so we get a picture that the kingdom has come and we are citizens of that kingdom for, for that kingdom purpose. And yet, it doesn't mean it's always easy. You know, it's interesting. There's a famous, uh, famous day today. 
I don't, I don't, I'd be interested to know if, if, uh, if anybody, I'm probably violating rules. Anybody know what today is and why we celebrate it? Anybody, anybody, anybody know? Other than the awesomeness of graduation at baccalaureate. This is an historic day, but you probably don't know it. I, I, as no one raised their hand, but might have been because you didn't want to interrupt or disrupt or anything of that sort. But I do wonder if any of you know the day, um, June 6th, 1944. Does that day ring a bell at all? June 6th, 1944. Some of you are looking at one another. You recognize that day. That's the day of D-Day. Now, on D-Day, something significant happened, right? Something, something important happened, right? Uh, the 3rd Canadian Infantry Division landed on Juneau Beach in addition to troops from all over the Allies, and they landed to begin uh, the, to begin the end. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, pretty much everybody knew that on that day, uh, the war would either be won or lost. Now, now, what do you mean? It, that, it wasn't won or lost on that day. Well, well, actually it was. I mean, most of the news stories articulated it correctly that on that day, if the Allies could get a beachhead into Europe, that the war was won, it just wasn't done. See, it was won because already Nazi Germany was in trouble, right? The, the battles on the east and in Africa had not been going well. And so Hitler was trying to find out where the invasion of Europe would come. And if he could stop it, he might indeed be able to hold Fortress Europe. I see some of grandparents and great-grandparents nodding their head along. But on June 6, 1944, the war was indeed won. It just wasn't yet done. So on that day, on, in the midst of, in the midst, it was a foggy day, in the midst of paratroopers kind of floating down, uh, 24,000 of them in the midst of foggy darkness and tracer fire, 160,000 soldiers hit the beaches of Normandy on that day. Life expectancy for the first wave was seconds. But as they made it in and they made it up the beach and into the first level and into the second level, at that day there was great joy in Canada and in all, among all the allies because on that day the war was won, but there was a long way to go before it was done. As a matter of fact, for almost another year, the war raged on. More people died in the next year than had died at any time prior into the war. There was the battle of the, across France into Germany, the battle of the bulge across the Rhine, but, but they kept going until ultimately uh, victory came. And on this day, we actually celebrate that day. It's called VE Day. If you walk by a news station sometime during the day today, you saw VE Day information. Um, and it actually, May 7th, 1945, um, and then May 8th stretches in, and, and the war was officially over. Now, here's the one I want you to miss. On, on, on D-Day, the end of the war was inaugurated. And on VE Day, the end of the war was consummated. It was done. It was finished in Europe. And this is, kind of paints a picture of what this kingdom life is like. So when Jesus, dying on the cross for our sin and in our place, said, it is finished, and God raised him from the dead on the third day to validate that truth. When he said, it is finished, he meant, it is finished. The victory is won. But the battle was still not done in the world. And such is life uh, between the times. Um, and, and yet we live as, as a work day. So as we go from this place, graduates and, and fellow sisters and brothers in Christ, as we go from this place, we go into a world where Jesus' victory is already assured. I, I've read the end of the book, he wins. So the question then is, is how will we live in light of that truth? If the world is broken and lost, we will come showing 
and sharing the love of Jesus. We'll show the love of Jesus to a broken world. We'll share the love of Jesus to a lost world, but we'll recognize that we live between the times, and in between the times, we live for King Jesus. We repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. The third thing I want you to see tonight is, is the, uh, the present kingdom. Jesus says it has come. The kingdom of heaven has come near. This is a recurring theme in Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 10, 7, he says, as you go, announce this, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he's not meaning that chronologically, like it's almost here, but he's meaning that geographically, right? That from his throne in heaven, God has always ruled over all the universe, but now the kingdom to this world in rebellion, the kingdom has come near. The Pharisees asked him in Luke 17, where, 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 when the kingdom of God will come. And, and he answered them, the kingdom of God's not coming with something observable. No one will say, look here or there. For you see, the kingdom of God is among you. In the midst of the world in rebellion, the kingdom of God has come near. One of the uh, great historic differences between your nation and mine is, uh, is, is sometimes how we perceive our, or our history actually was. You, you, may, you may or may not be aware that Canada recently uh, changed its laws so that uh, there's actually a wonderful video, if you're interested, it's made by uh, the Canadian government. It's called Waking Up Canadian. And it shows the story of, uh, it's just a little two-minute video, but I showed it to my children because when Canada changed the law, my children were suddenly counted as Canadian citizens, which went over, I have three daughters, three daughters, so you can pray, pray for me. Uh, greatest thing ever. Um, but my three daughters, so I said to them, listen, your, your mom's Canadian, and so now, um, even though she's not living in Canada, according to this, you guys can, uh, can claim your Canadian citizenship. You're, you're, you're already counted, but you can claim your Canadian citizenship. My, my two youngest daughters thought it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, my oldest daughter's like, but I don't, but I, I don't want to go. I want to stay with you guys. And I'm like, no, no, honey. I mean, they're not going <laughs> to... The Mounties are not coming, sweetie. They're not uh, going to drag you back across the border and... Thank you, go to Tim Hortons, which, by the way, would be a good thing, but I explained that to her. Um, but she's like, but, but, I'm, but I'm a citizen here. And I said, yeah, baby, but you're also, you're also a, citizen, a citizen somewhere else. And it's conceptually, it, it, it's a hard thing sometimes to think of that reality, right, that we're here, yet we also belong to, to somewhere else. Yet that's exactly what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of heaven has come, has come near. And then sometimes... The place where we are is in rebellion to the rule of the place where we belong. Would you miss that? The place where we are is sometimes in, rule, uh, in rebellion to the rule of the place where we belong. And that's when it gets tricky. Um, and so it is with followers of Jesus. The place where we are is in rebellion to the place where we belong. The world's in rebellion to the rightful rule of a good, holy, sovereign, and perfect God. It doesn't mean it's as bad as it could be. It doesn't mean it's, it's the, evidence, the rebellion is as evident as could be, but the world's in rebellion. Now... Um, I, I, I didn't grow up. I live in, I live in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and I know the only thing you know is, is country music, and, that's, and I, 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 I'm not a fan of country music. I, I think God can and does use any form of music for his glory and honor. I mean, he can use hip-hop, he could use traditional. He just, he just doesn't use country Western music. Um, he could, but he's a loving God, and he has chosen, <laughs> he has chosen not to for our good and for his glory. Um, but I live in, so I live in Nashville, right? So, so uh, the only people always ask me, do you, do you know Taylor Swift? I'm like, oh yeah, we're buds. Um, but I, no, I don't. But she's actually from the town. I live in Hendersonville, Tennessee. She's from the town of Henderson. She goes to the school that my kids go to. And so, so, so then they love to tell everybody that. Uh, but when I moved to Tennessee, I'm from, I'm from uh, New York, New York City. I grew up in New York City. And when I moved to Tennessee, 
Um, I had to study Tennessee history, which I know, I know, very, I very, know very little about. Um, you may know that Americans are not really big on school uh, and um, in general. Um, but, but, uh, but, but, but so, so when it came to, so, so I had to help my daughter study um, Tennessee history. Um, and, I, and I found that's something I didn't know before. So Tennessee, uh, you know, we, had a, we, had a, we, had, we, didn't, we didn't have confederation, right? We had a civil war, right? We didn't have peace, order, and good government. We had life, liberty, and the pursuit of whatever you want. Uh, and, um, and, and so we had the civil war uh, over, over, uh, over slavery and other things. But um, so Tennessee um, wasn't a major uh, pl- a player in the civil war. It was a major place. So the state uh, seceded. Uh, left seceded from, from the Union, right? This is, you, you know what this is. You hear it constantly from the Quebecois. Um, <laughs> uh, some of them. Uh, and and so, so Tennessee, um, at first, it chose not to secede from a Union. It said this was an illegal and illegitimate rebellion, right? So, uh, so it chose not to secede. And, and, and apologize for the history lesson, but stay with me. because but so, 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 so they chose not to secede. And so, but then the war sort of started. And the way, the way President Lincoln engaged in the war, they, he kind of turned away. And what happened was East Tennessee was very pro-Union. And Union was the northern forces. And the, and the, and the, the rebellion, they called themselves, the rebels, was the Confederacy, the southern forces. And, and so the first time Tennessee voted, they actually voted, the majority said, the, the, the legislators, uh, to not secede. But, but then the war was executed in a way they, that many were offended by, and so they switched. And so, and so one day, uh, Tennessee became the last state to secede from the Union. But I will tell you, East Tennessee was not pleased. There's a county still today in East Tennessee called Union County, right? They called Shelbyville, Tennessee, Little Boston. So it was a, it's a bastion of Union sentiment. And then, so Tennessee one day votes to secede from the Union, and that very moment, East Tennessee voted to secede from Tennessee, which is an awkward conversation around the state house. Um, but, but what happened was, it's interesting, an interesting moment in history. And if you watch the, the Daniel Day-Lewis play Lincoln in the, in the recent film, you saw this, is the North never recognized the South as another country. Um, others did, but, but the North never did, because they, they said it was an illegal and illegitimate rebellion. They said the, the government of the United States was always the government of the United States. And you, you might think you're in rebellion. It might look like your illegal and illegitimate rebellion actually is, is working and is sticking and is true. But at the end of the day, you're, you're just pretending. At the end of the day, the government of the United States is still sovereign over this area. Now, by now, some of you picked up. You're, Ed, you're comparing the, the world in its rebellion to the rightful reign of a good, holy, and sovereign and perfect God to to the United States Civil War when the South, you're comparing the South to the kingdom of darkness? I don't do this in Tennessee. <laughs> but this is a whole nother country. <laughs> and you're not gonna tell anybody. Um, but brothers and sisters, I want you to see this. See, the world today is indeed in an illegal and illegitimate rebellion against the rightful rule of a good, holy, sovereign, and perfect God. It thinks that it's charting its own way. It believes that it's ultimately now under the rule of itself when it's really under the sway of the prince of the power of the air. It thinks all of these things, but we, we have been redeemed. The world is in rebellion from the rightful rule of a good, holy, sovereign, and perfect God who rules over all the universe. This world's in rebellion, but it's illegal and illegitimate. Jesus is still Lord. They don't know it, but one day they'll say he is Lord every knee 
knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And now we're living in the midst all around us. The world has joined the rebellion, but we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are kingdom citizens in a world that's rebelling against the kingdom. All of us here who say that Jesus is Lord, we are ultimately citizens of East Tennessee. So you got to learn to say words like fixin'. But I, I illustrate, and I could have used a lot of other illustrations. I want to use one far away so you couldn't say, well, you know, don't, don't, don't use Labrador as an example. Because uh, really, you should never use Labrador as an example for anything. Um, so because people could take offense. Um, but what I would say is, we need to remember that King Jesus calls us to repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, I want to close with this. Fourth and finally. You know what it means when a, when a guest speaker says, let me close with this, don't you? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, but let's try. You sang a song that I understand is a kind of a theme song around here. It says, lead me on and I will run after you. One reality that for you graduates will become increasingly evident is that as you run after him, you will run up against opposition. You will run up against a world that's in rebellion to the rightful role, rule of a good, holy, sovereign, and perfect God. You are the rebellion against the rebellion. That's, by the way, that's what they call East Tennessee. They have T-shirts to this day. You can go to East Tennessee and buy T-shirts that say the rebellion against the rebellion. You, you are, uh, the re we are, the rebellion against the rebellion. Now, so, so is that just a one-time thing? Because we're, we're followers of Jesus in all likelihood. If you're, if you're here with your family and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to respond by grace and through faith to Jesus' death on the cross for your sin and in your place. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is speaking of you. So you say, but isn't that already done? Have you kind of used this passage to sort of explain the kingdom of God? And, and I, in a sense, I have. But I want to come back to where I skipped. It says, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come. Now, here's the thing. I just want to encourage you in this some small way. So repentance is part of how we become part of the kingdom. Uh, Jesus told his listeners that because the kingdom had come near, they should, uh, they should repent. Now, repent for what? Oh, their failure to live up God's standards, the, the uh, being a part of a rebellion against the rightful rule of a holy, sovereign, and perfect God. But here's the thing I want you to hear, that I wish somebody had said to me when I graduated from college, um, is that I never stop repenting because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Because there's one thing about the rebellion of this world. Some of you don't even, don't even like the language, the rebellion uh, against the rebellion. Some of you don't like the language, the rebellion, because you say, well, no, the world's a, the world's a pretty good place. And, and by no means am I saying the world's as bad as it could be. And, but here's the thing that I want you to hear. You'll spend, graduates, the next uh, 70 years of your life acknowledging that you are drawn to the rebellion of the world against the righteousness of God. See, and it won't be some of the more obvious things. Maybe it will be. There may be times when you find yourself drawn to things that you say, well, I, I'm shocked, I'm stunned that I'm, I'm still drawn to that, but it'll be, it'll be reputation over being 
righteous. It will be, it, it'll, be, it, it'll be something about, uh, about engaging in some gossip in a way that undermines somebody else because you're trying to make it into the workplace. It'll, it'll, it'll be the way you treat the least of these and those who are struggling in our community because you're, you're too busy to care. And, and what happens is we get drawn up. No, not just we. I mean, we, I get drawn into the idols of the world. See, the idols, the, I, I, the most common sin you're told to avoid in the Bible, the most common sin you're told to avoid in the Bible is idolatry. Which may seem strange to you. You may be thinking, well, you know, I'm not really struggling with you know, little wooden statues in my house. But that's not the idolatry. That's, that's, there's some idolatry like that, particularly in the Old Testament. But the idolatry they speak of in the New Testament is the idolatry of the heart. And idols are the localized expression of the world's rebellion. Chase after me, money says. Chase after me, prestige says. And Jesus says, repent. Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Chase after me and you'll, and you'll have this or you'll have that. And, and there'll be choices that you'll have to come to. Choices that you'll have to make that say, no, the values that I want to pursue. As I'm launch graduates from this place and as I live day to day, wherever I might be. Are the values of the king and his kingdom. For those values are the only ones that ultimately last. I want you to hear that. Those values are the only ones that ultimately last. So when I was there, as my sister suffered um, from this rare form of cancer, didn't make it to where you are, though she was close. Um, I remember her, among her last words, were her thankfulness that she had the privilege to live for Jesus in the time that she had. And now as I look to the generation below me, not much younger than some of you graduates, I sit down and I talk to my daughters, who I'm immensely proud of. Um, my oldest one, the one I'm talking about going to college, is went and learned Portuguese, wants to be a, a missionary, which I am so opposed to. Uh, I wasn't, I'm not opposed to it for other people's children. Um, <laughs> I'm opposed to it for mine. Uh, I recognize the deep hypocrisy of that. Um, and I'm just kidding. But you see, even those values. I, I, just, I want a nice house with my kids nearby. And Jesus says, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So brothers and sisters, um, I encourage you. If there's one sentence you take away uh, from what I have to say today. Some much imperfect uh, maybe a little bit helpful, but maybe one sentence that's essential. My encouragement to you, you, you live and ask the rest of your life, what does King Jesus want me to do? And you remember his words, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Father, by your grace and by your goodness, we acknowledge that you have redeemed us and called us by name. And Lord Jesus, we pray, we pray believing that you will guide us, that when the idols of the world and its rebellion draw us another way, that me might instead and indeed cry out as you told us to, to call on your name, to repent, because the kingdom of heaven has indeed come near. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.